Well, I want to welcome our satellites and those who are watching online. Thank you for being with us. Uh, we are diving back into Exodus. Uh, we're going to be looking at some scripture that's on page 65 in your study guide. It's this passage uh, that we've been, hopefully you've been in all week. I hope you've had a chance to dive into the devotional. Uh, I know for me it was helpful to have a space to pause, to stop, uh, to consider where am I stuck? Where, where might I be uh, stuck? We're looking at, finally, we've gotten to this place in Exodus where they're being set free, where they're being let out, right, from their stuckness. Israel has been in Egypt for hundreds of years under oppression um, and under this Pharaoh, and, uh, and finally they're getting set free from that. And as I was studying this, and as you hopefully were in, in studying it this past week, um, what struck me as I thought about my own stuckness. Now, I want to say this. Um, I want to get unstuck. I hope you do too. And I need to be led, and I need to be led by God. I am in no way likening the stuckness of Israel to my stuckness, right? The, the, the author of um, Exodus did not write this to be about my psychological freedom. I want to acknowledge that. But when we study the scripture, we do ask the question, we're going to do some Bible study together. When we study the scripture, we ask the question, what was the author's intent? And I would tell you, I think the author's intent here is one, to just tell you of the goodness of God, to tell me of the majesty of God. He's been leading us all the way up through God's demonstration of his power to say God, this God, this God Yahweh is above all other gods. There is no God like him. And he's going to set his people free and he is going to take them toward the promised land and to the promised land. But as we study the scripture, as we make observations, we do want to apply it to us, right? We want to apply it to our minds, to our hearts, to our life. And so that's what we're going to do uh, this morning. We're going to read this passage of scripture. I'm going to read through it once. And then I'm going to just go through and I'm going to make six observations with six applications. Because we observe the scripture and then we apply the scripture. Okay? You with me? So let me pray and uh, we'll dive into Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. Father, would your spirit come and would it illuminate the word? Would it bring to life your truth, your beauty, your majesty? Would we take in your word and would then your spirit do a work of transformation? And would we cooperate with that work? We, would we have courage to change, God? We say, come Holy Spirit, do a work in us, in Jesus' name. Here we go. The Word of God says this, says uh, in verse uh, 17. 
when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear on oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night in a pillar of fire to guide them, to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. That's good news. So here's some observations. We're just going to do some good old Bible study. Verse uh, 17 says, When Pharaoh let the people go. Now we know because of context, here's my observation, God does the rescuing. God does the rescuing. Here's the application. So worship him. God does the rescuing. Again, we know because of the context that God has been working to this place of rescue. God has been leading them to a point to understand no other God was going to rescue them. No other God was going to care for them like this God. God, this God was going to lead them out of this oppression. We even know if we were to flip, you don't have to, I'll just read it to you. But in Exodus chapter 13, it says, In days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean, this Passover meal is the context, say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. The fact that Pharaoh let them go was a work of God. Right. Exodus 12, 38 says something really interesting. It says, the Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, and there, there were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Many other people went up with them. Now, another translation says it better. It says a mixed multitude went up with them, or the understanding would be an ethnically mixed people. So when God took Israel out of Egypt, he didn't just take Israel, he took anyone who would want to go. This is the heart of God. God God did not just begin to graft in Gentiles in the New Testament. From the very beginning, God was calling forth a multitude of people, multitude of ethnicities that we would see in Revelation that there will be that day in the new heaven and the new earth when every tribe, every tongue, every language, every ethnos is really the language there. Every type of person is with God. So in this journey out, we have to believe that there were Egyptians who saw the power of God and went with them. 
God has always been about all people, anyone who would trust in him, anyone who would have faith in him to come to him, to be with him. This is good news. They chose to let God lead them out. So we worship this God. And that was actually even the invitation, right? When Moses was sent, God said to Moses, tell Pharaoh to let my people go so that they could worship me, right? Our God is a God who is worthy of our worship. Second observation comes from verse 17. It says, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road towards the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Here's my second observation. Get ready. Write it down. It's going to blow your brain. Observation number two, God knows stuff. God knows stuff. And our application is, so trust him. God knows stuff. He knew, he knew that these people would be tempted to go back if they faced difficulty, if they faced war, right? God knows that we're going to want to go back. Now, we will see as we continue on in this that they do keep wanting to go back. But God in his wisdom in this particular instance, and I think it's true for me, maybe it's true for you, God knew that they needed to take the long way. You see, and that so frustrates me because I never want the long way. I want the short way, I want the quick way, I want the direct route, right? But here's the thing, friends. Stuck people begin to believe that their stuckness is normal, right? And as I was even going through the the day two in our study, I was struck by the things where I can be stuck but I don't even know I'm stuck because I think they're normal, right? And here's what we know, and I know this is true of me, and I believe it's true of you, but this is getting a little too personal, so let's just say those people. We all know people who are stuck, and it's so normal for them to be stuck that when they're not experiencing their stuckness, they create stuckness or they go look for stuckness, right? We know the people who always have chaos in their life. Now, perhaps, and and there's always a story, right? And very often they grew up in chaos and chaos was normal. And so when they're not experiencing chaos, they either go find it or they create it. We know those people, not any of us for sure, who are stuck in anxiety. And when they don't feel anxious, they don't feel normal. And so they go find anxiety. 
they go create anxiety. The bummer is for everybody who lives near them <laughs> in proximity because they tend to be the, the object of their anxiety or they get sucked into it. We know people, again, none of us here, but those people who live in fear. There's always something they're afraid of. They're stuck in their fear. And if there's not something to be afraid of, they will go find something to be afraid of, right? They will figure out something to be afraid of. Those people who are stuck in jealousy or envy. And there's always somebody who has more than them, is better than them. And if they can't find somebody, they'll find somebody. There's television, right? You can find somebody. Anger. Always angry, angry about something, always something. And they'll go find it if there's not something in front of them. I don't know anyone like this, but I'm sure they are. The person who is busy, stuck in their busyness. And when they're not busy, they find busy. They don't even know how to lay on a couch without multitasking. Right. What about the person who is stuck? And this, the Israelites will be an example of this, but grumbling and complaining. There's always something to complain about. There's always something wrong. There's always something to grumble. And then that person who's stuck as the victim, right? They're always the victim to somebody or something, to some circumstance. And again, if they're in a season where they're not the victim, they'll create a victim. They are, there's somebody that they are a victim to. There is something, some circumstance, some person who is in the way for them. Right. Friends, God's got to lead us out. And he may take us the long way. Sometimes, like in this instance, I love this, God took them the long way to protect them. He knew what they needed to protect them. How does God lead us? He leads us sometimes the long way sometimes a path that we would have not chosen. And sometimes as I was meditating on this, as I was reflecting on this, sometimes how God leads us feels so random we don't even know that he's leading us, right? I was, and, and I think it's a good exercise to look back on because sometimes we can get stuck in our like, God, I need you to lead me. I need you to lead me. I need you to show me you're leading me. I need, I need to see it. I need a sign. I need this. I need this. And to be reminded that oftentimes when God has led you, when he has led me in the moment, I didn't even know he was leading me. I didn't even recognize it as an answer to a prayer that I had put up, right? I think about when I was in college. Uh, I was a freshman in college. I was a very new Christian, and I uh, was I was all in. And um, 
I was excited. I, wa- I wanted God to, and I was freshman in college, Lord, what do you want for my life? What do you want to do with me? How do you want to use me for your kingdom? What do you want me to do? All those kind of things. Um, so this is this prayer over here. Um, now, I started going on once a week. I, there was a little group at, that gathered. I went to Baylor University. I was from Southern California, but I went to Texas that gathered to pray um, once a week. And so I would go to this prayer meeting uh, with these friends, and I would always leave right after the prayer meeting uh, because the next day I had a quiz in a class that I should have been failing. Um, And so I got a C, but that was like by grace or something. But anyway, I deserved an F. But uh, so I had always had a quiz the next morning. So I had, I was like, always had to get back to study for this, this quiz. And um, some friends of mine in that group were going through um, a training for young life. Okay. I had never heard of young life till I got to college. Um, But it's a a ministry to high school students. And they had asked me to go with them a number of times. And, uh, one, and I always was like, no, I can't go because I got to go to study for my quiz. And one week, they all got up to go to leave to go to this training. And I got up and I went with them. And it changed the trajectory of my life. Became a Young Life leader, went on Young Life staff after college for 10 years. Um, really shaped the way I think about ministry. In that moment... God was leading me, but I had no idea. I had no idea that he had gone before me to answer a prayer that had probably started when I first became a Christian right before my senior year in high school. God, I want my life, I want to I be a part of your mission. I want you to use me. I want to be part of what you're doing, Jesus, in the world. And so he put me in a hall, in a dorm, with a group of girls who were all going through this young life leadership training who kept asking me to go with them who then invited me to go to this prayer meeting and then somewhere randomly I got up and went and you have stories like that and so the beautiful thing is you can trust him you can trust him to be leading you even when you don't know he's leading you right so look back Consider when it is that God has led you in the past and take hope and put trust in him that he'll lead you in the future. Third observation, verse 18 says, So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. And if you did your homework, you know that that word ready for that language of ready for battle really is better translated in a sense in community that they went up out of Egypt in a small group, in a unit, because they weren't really ready for battle. They'd been enslaved for hundreds of years. They had not been taught to fight. They had been taught to listen to the orders of somebody over them, and they had been oppressed. But they had people with them, and it made them ready for the journey. And so my observation is this, God gives us people. Find your people. Find your people. Doesn't have to be a lot of people. Could be one or two people. But find your people. Find people. If you want to be led by God, it sure helps to be with people who also want to be led by God. 
it sure helps to be with people who might even be a little bit further out ahead of following God. Again, I think of that dorm uh, hall that I lived in my freshman year of college and one of the women on my girls on my hall, Leanne, who was way ahead of me with Jesus, you know, we're all 18, but she's, I was like nowhere and she's like somewhere. And that's my people, right? Helping me. Find people. Find people who are committed to following Jesus. Find people who are committed to the scripture. Find people committed to grace and truth. Now, next session, we're going to talk about how groupthink can take you sideways. So groups can also be a negative thing. But in this instance, I think the Lord is giving them people. They're going out together, and they're not just going out in a mob of 600,000. They're going out in units. They're going out in little sub-communities, if you will. Now, for some of you, maybe you've had a hard time finding people. You're having a hard time finding your people. And for you, I I just want to put out a couple of questions and receive them with tenderness. First question is this, where are you looking? Again, where are you looking? Where are you looking for your people? Now you're here, so that's a good sign. But are you looking amongst, in places where you might find those who can help you be led by God? The second question needs a little more tenderness probably, but I've got to ask it. Not just where are you looking, but how are you showing up? If you're having a hard time finding people, it wouldn't be a bad thing to consider how am I showing up? And what I mean by that, when you show up to a group, when you show up to a place with others, do you show up kind or you show up contentious? Do you show up listening? Or do you show up as the overtalker, dominating, taking up all the air in the group? Do you show up joyful? Or do you show up grumbling and complaining? Are you always complaining? Is there always something wrong? Because here's the problem with that. It's like the kid who cried wolf, right? Suddenly when you really do have, and we all really do have things at times that are worthy of our complaint, that are worthy of our grumble, and when those seasons come, when those times come, we, want, we need our people to lean in with us, right? But when you're always complaining, when you're never joyous, When you're never happy, it's hard for our people to hear the honest grumbling when it happens, right? So God gives us people, find those people. And where are you looking and how are you showing up? Okay, one more, another observation, observation number four. I know we're just kind of kicking through the scripture here. Um, Verse 19 says this, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made The Israelites, and this was hundreds of years before, swear on an oath. He had had said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. God is surely 
going to keep his promise of taking us to the promised land. He's going to take us. And so when he does, I want you to take my bones with you. And do you, I was, again, as I was reflecting on this and meditating upon this, I was thinking about year 100. After Joseph had said, hey, embalm my bones so you can take them with you. Maybe year 25. They're like, cray cray, not happening. Year 50. I don't know, we still got Joseph's bones over there. This ain't going to happen. You're 100, you're 200, you're 300, you're 400. And sometimes I wonder, what year am I in? (laughs) Maybe I'm year 200. And God's going to keep his promise. It just might not be in my lifetime. It just might not be when I get to see it. This was certainly true for Abraham, for Joseph, right? Even for Moses, I love in Hebrews, it tells us that it was faith that propelled Abraham to go. It was believing in a God who would keep his promises. It was faith that propelled Joseph to have hope in the future and have them embalm his bones. It was faith that led Moses to a life with God where it says in Hebrews 11, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasure of Egypt. Here's our application. He is a promise-keeping God. Believe him. Believe him. Make Jesus the object of your faith. That's actually... The application after Hebrews chapter 11, the application in Hebrews 12 is fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Become fixated upon Christ, captivated by him. Fifth observation. Verse 20, after leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. I love this. God goes ahead of us to lead us. God goes ahead of us to lead us. And he doesn't hide Our application, of course, is to follow him. I love that Mark Pickerel, one of our pastors here at Christian Assembly, sometime a couple months ago said in a sermon, and it's just stayed with me, he said, if you want to follow Jesus, you have to get behind him. And oftentimes I want to be ahead of him. Because I don't really want to follow Jesus, I want Jesus to follow me. right. God reveals himself in this pillar this fire cloud pillar and the beautiful thing is that he has continued to reveal himself throughout history you see we go gosh if i could have a fire cloud if i could have a you know a cloud thing i i would follow for sure well we'll see the israelites weren't always so faithful to that following but here's the beautiful thing is that god later revealed himself in John chapter 1, it tells us that God became flesh and dwelt among us. God became a man. God reveals himself in Jesus. And when I say this, and what John chapter 1 is talking about, isn't just 
God mystically reveals himself in Jesus. God physically reveals himself in Jesus. This is a moment in history when God became human. And the scripture tells us that Jesus was the visible image of the invisible God. And so we want to look back on the historical Jesus. Now, we're not living in that time, but there were those who lived in that time, and they're actually the ones who wrote most of the New Testament, right? And the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are biographies of Jesus set in history. And we need to consider him, that we can follow God by knowing who Jesus is. And not just who he is, but what he was like and the things that he said, right? And then Jesus, knowing that when he was going to the cross and that he was going to die for their sin, be resurrected for their life, it was the hope of life that came in his resurrection, eternal life, and then be ascended the Father, Jesus wanted to make sure that they knew he wasn't going to stop revealing himself. Because he let them know, I'm going to send my spirit. And my spirit is going to, one of the roles of the spirit is he's going to remind you of what I said. He's going to remind you of who I am. And he is God the Spirit, just co-equal to God the Son, just as much God, who's not going to just go before you. He's going to come and he's going to live in you. This is the beauty and the mystery and the promise of Christianity that is like no other faith, no other religion. That God would come and mysteriously, but physically indwell us. The Spirit of God with us, in us, before us, behind us. And he would give us his scripture. He would give us the word of God, the Bible, that we could know him and there would be a... a a supernatural revelation of him in his word that we could lean in, that we could follow him. We could follow him by prayer, listening and hearing for the spirit through the word. We could follow him by knowing and reading the word that would then inform our prayer. You see, if you're just a Bible person who never prays, then really you're just a historian, maybe. I don't know, your knowledge, right? But if you're also, and I think this is more rampant in the church, if you're just a person who prays but never reads the Scripture, then I'm not quite sure what's informing your prayer. Because those two things together lead us on a life of obedience to God's leadership. Now, you know this, but I have to say it. Obedience does not earn our salvation. But obedience is a confirmation of our salvation. To be indwelt by the Spirit 
is to be transformed and changed in such a way that things start to show up in us. The scripture says what starts to show up in us is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And that is obedience to the way of Jesus. Never underestimate the power of an obedient life. And friends, I, I got to say this because somebody out there is thinking this. Obedience is not legalism. It's a lie from the pit of hell that's stuck in every American Christian's brain. I don't want to be a legalist. I don't really know many legalists. Obedience is not legalism. It is love. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Obedience is an expression of love. Follow him. Get behind him. And then the last observation is this. In verse 22, such good news. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. God never leaves us. God never leaves us. We may not feel him. We may not be experiencing him. But it is contrary to his nature to leave us. And so our application is rest in him. Rest in him. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, which is kind of a commentary, if you will, and an extra information about the Exodus, there's this moment when Moses is coming to the end of his life. And it says, Then Moses went out and he spoke these words to all of Israel. He says, I'm now 120 years old and I am no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, You shall not cross the Jordan. God had told Moses, You're not going to go in. And I love this. We'll talk about it next session, but I don't think Moses even cared at that point because the promised land to him was not a place, it was a person. And the person of God had met with him face to face, like a friend. Anyway, tangent. The Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you, he says. He will destroy these nations before you. And then he says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. And this is the context to the next verse, which is the verse we all know, but sometimes we don't know where it came from. And Moses says, the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And how much truer is that for those who, uh, of us who live this side of the cross, where the Spirit of God doesn't just go before us, He lives in us. He cannot leave us. If you are in Christ, then Christ is in you. It is impossible for him to leave you. It is impossible for him not to be with you. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit. You cannot get away from his spirit. And so I want to give you an opportunity now. If you have never placed your faith and trust in Christ to do that now because it is in that moment 
that God himself indwells you. We don't pray to receive Christ just to avoid hell. We don't say a magical prayer to avoid hell. We pray to receive Christ to receive Christ. That Christ might dwell in us. The New Testament interchanges the language of Christ in you, the Spirit in you, the Spirit in you, Christ in you. And so, if you would indulge me for one moment, if you would want to, just to say to God today, oh Jesus, I put my trust in you. I put my trust in you, in the God of that you are the God above all other gods. You are the one true God. And I receive you. And in receiving you, Jesus, I receive your spirit who will live in me and indwell me that I might be yours and you might be mine. And I will do this life with you, following you, trusting you, making you the object of my faith. I offer you myself and I receive all of you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.